This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. The Lord Jesus, uh, throughout his ministry, uh, was at variance with the leaders of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees believed that their genealogy gave them a divine right to the interpretation of the scriptures and of its administration. And it's on one such occasion that Jesus encountered the scribes and the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17 and at verse 20. And it says there at verse 20, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. And after the encounter with the Pharisees, he then turned to his followers, and in verse 1 of the uh, reading that we had, he spake a parable unto them to this end, that man ought always to pray. He had warned them in the previous verses at the end of chapter 17 that the Mosaic system of which they were so certain was the entitlement, their due and their acceptance by God that it was about to come to an end and he begins with a parable that shows how they should use the word of God and it encompasses the whole of the gospel message the parable that follows in that uh, 18th uh, chapter which we read and the other parables that Jesus spoke many many of them were intended to help those that were listening to understand the message in a way that was a little easier for them now rather than go through the parable or any other of the parables which are often self-explanatory I thought we might consider this afternoon that which was in Jesus' words in this first uh, verse most important that men ought always to pray Now in Luke uh, chapter 16, uh, just a couple of chapters back, uh, Jesus had encountered the Pharisees again. And he'd been showing them that their genealogy, as we have said, uh, the fact that they had descended from Abraham was not a guarantee that they would enter into the kingdom of God. The word of God that they had been entrusted with was in fact a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 he says there verse 24 wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, signalling the end of the Mosaic Age. The law and the Psalms and the prophets then were to teach us a way of life, and not as they, the scribes and Pharisees, were teaching, but a way of life that showed an understanding of God Almighty, of what he had done, of what he was going to do, and of how they could be a part of that plan and purpose that he had for the earth with man upon it. The followers of Jesus had been listening to the discourse, and there would have no doubt been some confusion amongst them. On the one hand, all that they would have been taught from the cradle to the grave was the doctrine of the Pharisees. And yet, the words of Jesus are commented on as being never man spake like this man the opposite of what the scribes and the Pharisees were saying but Jesus having dealt with the scribes and the Pharisees in uh, chapter 16 he then in, in chapter 17 turns to his followers to reassure them in parables and to teach them how the lessons in scripture should be understood and how they should order their lives in order to please God and not as the doctrine of the Pharisees knowing that his followers would have had difficulty perhaps understanding these things he spoke that parable to them in chapter 18 there are those uh, precepts spoken of in prayer are the things that should order our life men ought always to pray you can read the rest of that chapter later we're going to concentrate particularly on prayer a sincere prayer is not a matter which comes easily to us and that is reflected in the request of Jesus follows in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 where Jesus is asked by them teach us to pray But from what Jesus says, men ought always to pray, it is obvious that there are great benefits to be had from that. So with this in mind, we're going to look at the example and the pattern which Jesus gave in response to the question, teach us to pray. I'm sure we all have a, a rough idea of what we think prayer is and most would say it is generally associated with religion that prayer even by those who do not have a religious conviction is often made in desperate situations when one doesn't know what to do and prayer is also used in an offhand way in conversation but generally speaking uh, prayer I suppose it is something most people don't think too much about so really the first thing we need to do is to find out what the dictionary definition of prayer is when we look at the Oxford English Dictionary we find that it says this about prayer it is a solemn request for help an expression of thanks addressed to God or another deity 
Strong's Bible Concordance says that in prayer to God we are seeking intercession, supplication, and by implication it can be a hymn. Easton's Bible Dictionary and Concordance says that prayer means to converse with God, the intercourse of the mind with God, not in contemplation or meditation, but in direct address to him. Prayer may be oral or mental, occasional or constant, spare of the moment or formal. I think most people would go along with those definitions more or less, whether they are believers or not. That would be most people's general understanding of what prayer is. But whilst those definitions would be accepted by many, they do not cover the Bible understanding of what prayer is. The Bible is much more informative on this subject. When we look at the Bible understanding of prayer, we find that sincere prayer is not a subject for philosophy or the preoccupation of theologians. It is a reality, a living reality, bound up in our everyday life. It's ups and downs, it, it can lighten our dark moments, it can quell our worries and soothe our concerns. It also recognizes our standing before the Almighty. It gives the comfort of forgiveness for our failings in the eyes of God. And it can promote a feeling of well-being, knowing that God is in control of all things. If we were to look at the numerous examples of prayer in Scripture, we would see many of these points highlighted. We would see how important an understanding of the need to use this privilege, this privilege of prayer. And it is a privilege. And it's being given to us for use in our everyday life. Remarkable things have occurred through prayer. And scripture shows many of them. Of how faith and belief are part and parcel of the wonderful blessing of prayer. That which helps us to make earnest, fervent prayer to Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, is an understanding of His Word. Prayer is not something that we can theorize about. It is possible to speak long and uh, profoundly about prayer without moving one step closer to that which sincere prayer brings to the believer, or the would-be believer. We can place our burdens upon the Almighty, knowing that He will hear us. We can express our thanks now for the provisions of each day, for the abundant blessings that are provided for us, for the preser preservation of His Word that gives promises that He has made from the very creation, that the earth would be filled with His glory, and how man can be a part of those things that are laid up for those that love and fear him. And that we can obtain forgiveness for our sins. <coughs> now, <coughs> I'm sure we're all aware of the, whether we read the Bible or not, uh, 
I'm sure we're all aware of the Bible account of the Garden of Eden and the consequences of the actions of Adam and Eve for mankind down through the ages. Genesis 3 tells us at verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now in those verses there's a, a distinct change from that which was spoken of in Genesis uh, chapter 1 of verse 31 where God having completed the creation he says God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good for the evening and the morning for the sixth day. There occurred a marked difference to the conditions that they had experienced from the creation. Not only in the natural world, but in Adam and Eve's mental state. However, God did not create the earth in order to have man destroy his wonderful creation and his plan and purpose, as you'll notice from verse 15 of that third chapter. Now, if you're not uh, a regular reader of Scripture, verse 15 is perhaps not an easy verse to understand. However, when we contemplate uh, that particular verse, and as we read the Scriptures, it does become more clear, and its meaning is expounded in many places throughout Scripture. Uh, one well-known verse to help us is in Isaiah 45, and verse 18, this is a verse that's quoted numerous, on numerous occasions from this platform. It is unambiguous, it's easy to understand, and it denotes our position before Almighty God. And it speaks of our understanding of him and the hope that we can have. And it says in verse 18 of chapter 45, Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. In order for that statement from Isaiah to come to pass, uh, for those conditions that prevailed in Eden to be re-established, there must needs be a reversal of the thinking of man. That which we saw in those verses in Genesis rather the complete disregard of the commandments of God and there has to be a change to that a disbelief of his word there must be a recognition that what God has said he will do he will do a recognition that uh, mankind or as it is termed in many places the flesh in its present uh, ways cannot please God and there has to be change 
amongst many references uh, regarding that. Uh, Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 8 says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 7, verse 18, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Well, what are we to do then? How can we be a part of the promises made by the Creator? That promise in Isaiah 45. Promises that God has made down the ages to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to King David and to the Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed to us in our day. Promises that are the gospel message, the good news of the coming of God's kingdom on earth. Well, as you would expect, God has not left us without hope or help in understanding these things. He is a loving and a caring God to those that love him and wish to do as he, as he has asked of them. We have inherited the propensity to sin from Adam, from the very creation. But if we wish to be a part of those promises, if we wish to be a part of the kingdom on earth, we are commanded of God to put away, to the best of our ability, those influences, those fleshly desires, that sinful nature which we have inherited, and that go against his commandments, and those things that displease our God. And, of course, we will fail because of the way we are. Our loving Heavenly Father knows that we will fail. And we do, but try we must. He has, in order to help us, provided his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He who overcame the flesh that he bore. He was sinless born of a woman and made like unto his brethren yet he was without sin and he is our mediator he speaks on our behalf to his father he pleads our case before God as it says in Hebrews 9 verse 15 for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament but by means of death for the redemption of of the transgression that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance I appreciate that that verse also is rather involved and it needs careful consideration uh, such matters concerning uh, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus are dealt with regularly from this platform on a Sunday afternoon and any questions that may arise can always be discussed after the address however the basic point that is being made is that Jesus Christ is our mediator we know from Isaiah 53 
a moving chapter indeed it says there that he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows he speaks on our behalf to his father and he is able to do so because he was as we are flesh and blood he has experienced the same things that we have he overcame the influence of, of that flesh its power and therefore the wages of sin which all flesh receives eternal death did not come over him because he was sinless he gained victory over death itself he now abides with his father and is able to speak for us so a reversal of the events of the garden of Eden will come to pass because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ Romans 5 verse 12 says wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned verse 15 for if through the offences of one many be dead verse 18 therefore as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous just bearing those things in mind uh, if we were to look at the Psalms Psalm 130 it gives us a, an explanation of of the position in which you stand it says Lord hear my voice let thine ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications if thou Lord should mark us iniquity O Lord who shall stand there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared and of course this is the work that the Lord Jesus Christ does for, on our behalf he is our mediator just a confirmation that the Lord Jesus Christ is pleading our case sin of course puts us at enmity with God and that's one of the things first things we learn when we read from Genesis chapter 1 and uh, as I said before we're all familiar with the commandments of God in the Garden of Eden Adam's transgression and we have seen that Genesis 3.15 tells us the promise that God has made to reverse that tendency in man in sending his only begotten son he has provided that means for our part then we in order to please God need to know what he wants from us and the only way we can do that is uh, to read from his word read of his plan and his purpose and the only true source of information is the Bible well, the word of God has been preserved down through the ages and uh, never has there been a time in history when it's been so readily available to so many people our subject this afternoon is to do with prayer and uh, if we read through the scriptures the word of God we'd find many references to prayer as we've said 
If we were to ask our peers, whether they're religious or otherwise, if they could recall any mention of prayer from Scripture, I'm pretty sure many would say, oh yes, the Lord's Prayer. In bygone years, uh, when children were taught about the Bible at school, many learnt the Lord's Prayer by heart. Probably without thinking too much what the words meant. In many ways, it's a simple prayer to learn, and it is a pattern which gives praise to God, expresses one's thankfulness, it encompasses the whole of God's purpose, it recognizes our need for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, and it gives the hope of being a part of God's kingdom on earth. It contains six petitions, three concerning God's glory and purpose, and three confessing our needs. But Jesus taught this prayer to his followers, this pattern, because, like you and I, they found difficulty making sincere prayer. If we were to recite this prayer without uh, plumbing the depths of it, these short sentences, <coughs> excuse me, we will inevitably fail to embrace the deep and comforting words that it contains. So if we consider this prayer, the first words of this prayer, what we find in Matthew 6, we can see there that God is referred to as our Father. This is in Matthew 6. But before we go to Matthew 6, the uh, speaking of God as our Father it's not something new, it's an Old Testament uh, concept both nationally and individually for Israel and uh, God's children it says in Hosea 11 chapter, uh, chapter 11 verse 1 when Israel was a child then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt again in Psalm 103 verse 13 it says there, like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. So when Jesus uh, speaks and he says, our father, that was something that they could relate to, that they had heard and read of. Being able to call God our father can only be possible through union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives this relationship a precious meaning to those that respond to his call to repentance. Those few words teach no greater lesson than God is loving towards his children. Even though he is far above us, he inhabits eternity, and he is the creator. In verse 9 of uh, Matthew 6, the reading that we took, was it verse, was it Matthew 
That was moved, wasn't it? If you turn to Matthew 6, which I think I mentioned before, if you turn to uh, verse 9 of Matthew 6, there's a similarity between the two prayers and these two gospel writings, by the way. Jesus says in verse 9, After this manner, before you pray, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed there means to give more than lip service. It means to keep separate and to show reference. Throughout the history of mankind, God's name has been profaned. Amos 2 verse 7 says, My name is profaned. And in Romans 2.24, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. So, in saying, Hallowed be thy name, we are recognizing the position that God is, that he is separate from mankind. It teaches us of God's high and exalted position. It also teaches us of the position that we can aspire to if we commit ourselves to him, that we can call him our father. The hope of the gospel message. Verse 10 says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. In this verse we're asking God to bring about a change in the earth. A change that he has promised. That the dreadful events and the suffering and the godlessness that takes place in the earth each and every day will be replaced by that which is good and wholesome and righteous. You can see here a vital link between God's will and his kingdom. Now to understand the implications of this verse, we also need to know what the kingdom is. Uh, the kingdom of God is that which is spoken of throughout the Old and the New Testament, and is, as we have read, a time when the intentions of God Almighty for this earth will come to pass, when peace and truth and righteousness will prevail in all the earth not in some far off place in the skies. There will be a place where the inhabitants of that kingdom will be made up of those that have answered the call of God, those that wish to be a part of the plan. When those of understanding that sleep in the dust of the earth will be called to judgment, along with those that remain. As the Apostle Paul records in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 it says there that the Lord Jesus will himself descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The time prevents us going into this subject in any detail. These couple of verses. Uh, we did 
touch on this in uh, the Outset in Genesis 3 about the promises made to the patriarchs and to David and to Jesus and to ourselves. And you may notice there in verse 16 that Jesus descends from heaven to the earth. And the word that is translated there, clouds, is a reference to witnesses, which you can find in Hebrews 12, verse 1, that is, the saints on earth. I'm sure you understand the implications of that verse. God's kingdom on earth, as we have said, is spoken of abundantly in the whole of Scripture, and uh, again, the subject often dealt with from this platform. Moving on to verse 11. <coughs> Give us this day our daily bread. <coughs> our thoughts here are directed from worship of the Father to recognising our need of his caring and loving provisions for us each and every day to value the gifts that God gives to us, those things that we often take for granted and to recognise our total dependence upon him for our very existence. We automatically think, when we read this verse, of food and shelter, which are essential for our survival, but there is also a greater need, and that is our need for the bread of life, the word of God. You may remember that when Jesus fed the 5,000 at the seaside in Capernaum, he was particular to point this out to them, to rebuke them for their wrong motivation in seeking him. It says in John 6.26 that Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, you seek me not because you see the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. This petition of the Lord's Prayer embraces both the bread of the field and the bread of heaven. The main types and shadows that we could look at in regard to the bread of heaven time permitting of course well, verse 12 of uh, Matthew uh, 9 forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors here we have the very very important matter of recognising our failings and our weaknesses and our transgressions those sins that we commit characteristics we seem unable to overcome so our thoughts and of the Lord Jesus Christ and his way of life and the things that we are called upon to do and as our thoughts and our understanding of these things deepen so will our consciousness of the need for divine forgiveness we become more aware of our failings, our faltering steps, as we try to follow the example that has been set before us. As we come to an understanding 
of the blessing that forgiveness by God gives us, we should soon realize that we too need to try to follow that precept, that we too need to realize the frailty of the nature that we bear in those that we are offended by. We have learned that sin or transgression separates us from God. It behoves us to try. In Genesis 3, we saw the result of sinfulness. And we of our own volition cannot overcome that propensity to transgress. However, as we have seen, God has provided a means through his beloved Son whereby he will overlook our transgressions. If we will, with all our heart, try to do the same. But because we cannot hope to repay that debt that we owe to Almighty God, we do indeed need to realise our position and express our humility. There is no equation to this subject. There is no calculation to demonstrate between what God has done and is doing and what we have done and what we are doing. Jesus teaches us here that humility and understanding and thankfulness are the qualities we are to seek and that we should acknowledge our understanding of God's love and mercy. Verse 13 Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. The understanding of the word temptation in this translation encompasses the trials and tribulations of life. And it follows the preceding petition in desiring the removal of any barriers or cast a shadow over our communion with God. We know, don't we, that there is a law in our members, as Paul puts it in Romans 7.19, Looked at before, the good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. And just like the Apostle, we too wish to avoid those things that cause us pain and anguish, and that cause us to stumble, and to cause others to stumble. Matters that are often so inviting to the natural man. Then we have, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now here in these last words that Jesus is teaching them concerning the questions about prayer, is the statement that God has been good for all generations down the ages, that God is in control of all things. Uh, Peter's reassuring words in Second Peter acknowledge that regardless of anything else 
God is in control and what he has said he will do he will if we put our trust in him he will help us in our lives according to his will and purpose Second Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises some men count slackness it's long suffering to us Lord, not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance but despite all the trials and tribulations that the world can throw at us we can rest assured that in all things Father is in control and that particular verse recognises that doesn't it it's not dependent on what man does whether we answer the call of God or not whether we choose to accept his invitation it's entirely up to us God's plan and purpose will succeed it finishes off the, uh, the prayer there with the word Amen it's a short word and it puts a seal on all that we have said on what we have petitioned our God for what we have given thanks for and the acknowledgement of his high and exalted position as the creator of heaven and earth so that is the pattern that Jesus gave to his followers and scripture contains many examples of prayer and uh, if you were to look up some of these uh, prayers they can be helpful to us and help us to uh, realise that our loving Heavenly Father listens to us we may not get the things that we ask for or we may not get the things that we want but there one such um, prayer that I looked at um, um, a good example of prayer then let's just look at uh, Daniel chapter 9 um, Israel had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians and uh, during this time of persecution Daniel a prophet of of whom it is written that he was a man greatly beloved of God uh, he, he sought the father in prayer and in this particular prayer we see many uh, sort of shadows and types of the prayer that Jesus was teaching we'll just look at one or two of the verses for now um, you may like to look at them a little bit later yourself for example Um, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4 it says I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said O Lord the great and dreadful God keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments you probably notice the similarities to the prayer that we turn the Lord's prayer we have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled 
even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongeth to thee. Verse 8, because we have sinned against thee. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins. Uh, verse 17, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Um, when we look at that, that prayer, I hope that uh, we can see the similarities. There are many prayers that are mentioned in Scripture that uh, are similar in pattern. That is the pattern that Jesus laid out. And I hope we've seen enough to make us want to seek for a greater understanding of what God has created, how we can be a part of the things that he has laid up for those that love and fear him, for this earth, and that some of the comfort and support we can have in knowing that he will hear our prayers. And as I said before, there are many examples of the benefits of sincere prayer contained in the scriptures, all of which can help us if we are seeking God's kingdom. Addresses on the kingdom of God, as I've said before, are regularly given from this platform. And I would encourage you to attend if you seek to know the plan and purpose of the God of heaven and earth, the creator, for those that love and fear him. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org. Dot uk